Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. That um, song that we just did, the last one, New Wine, maybe not a coincidence. I'd um, actually asked Ange if we could go there. The song's been stuck in my head for probably two weeks. So any morning that I get up and go for a walk or when I'm driving to work at school, the song's playing over and over my head. And to be honest, I really didn't like the song at all. Um, Really struggled with it. There's so much symbolism that goes all the way through. And, you know, I'm fine with, you know, let's look at something symbolic. But um, so in the beginning, we're wine that's made from crushing. And then we're soil, uh, then a vessel, then an offering. Talks about the power and then the freedom. And then the kingdom is here. And then I lay down flame to carry your new fire. And I'm just like, I, I don't like it. It's um, too much disjointed symbol. And you can make it make sense, right? You can go through and say, well, that connects to that and, and whatnot. But I said, no, it's, it's too much of a stretch. But still, it has kept on playing over and over in my head all week. So I'm sort of, you know, God, what's this about? And funny, another line of that same song says, when I trust you, I don't need to understand. And I went, all right. (laughs) Sure, all right, all right. And meanwhile, so many phrases through that song just kept on speaking to me about things that maybe I was thinking about or going through or dealing with, or it'd be stuck in my head and then I'd be at work and something would come up and I'd go, oh yeah, that's that song that was on my head all morning. Um, But um, I think that God was taking something that not really offended me, that's maybe too strong a word, but it was something that didn't sit right with me maybe, um, to minister to me. And in that he was sort of showing me, it's actually not the song that needs to shift. The song's fine. The trouble was me. I was not sitting right with the song. I needed to adjust my way and my perspective, and suddenly the song doesn't bother me at all and we're singing it, and I loved it, and I was able to engage this morning even, more than I have before, because God's actually gone, look, the trouble wasn't the song, the trouble was you. Once you're straight, the song's fine. Um, I listened to a podcast recently, probably this last two weeks as well, while this was all happening, and it was talking about um, oxen being yoked together. I know we don't, probably many of us don't yoke ox very regularly. (laughs) But um, I don't. The idea is there's a big wooden beam that's got a cutout curve in the middle, the right shape for the ox's shoulder. Ox's, o- oxen, oxen's shoulder, for their shoulder. And so it sits on there and they stay there and the ropes are all tied onto them and they can pull, they can plow, they can pull a heavy load, they can get someone unstuck or whatever. Um, and the Bible uses this imagery for us about the ox and about being yoked together. And if one of the oxen decides, I need to go this way, or, you know, maybe it's a young one that doesn't quite know how to sit in the harness yet, or maybe it thinks that it has a better way, or maybe it's pulling too far ahead or lagging too far back, the yoke doesn't sit right anymore. And now there's irritation and maybe pain, and it might even injure itself as it's pulling forward and it's going one way and it's turning and, and whatnot. But if the yoke is sitting right on their shoulders, it's easy, and it's designed that way, it's shaped that way, and then they can actually be effective and useful in what it is that they want to do. And so 
um, despite the song sort of taking time to sit with me, I think I find that a lot of, a lot of times that same thing happens in plenty of other situations where the yoke that I'm wearing, I'm straining against going, this is so frustrating, this doesn't fit right, this is, you know, I need to get that person fixed because they're doing the wrong thing and it's irritating me. But the trouble isn't that, the trouble is I've been yoked with this and once I sit right in the yoke, that doesn't actually irritate me. They don't do anything differently, but it doesn't irritate me anymore. And I think we often all have those sort of situations, maybe at work, you've, you know, see a problem, all right, if we go down this path, there's going to be this problem over here, uh, and we're going to run into issues and dramas later on. So you bring it up, and hey, look, here's this problem, no, no, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Sure enough, however long later, maybe six months later, this problem, and everyone's, oh no, what, what happened? And it's so irritating, because you go, like, this didn't have to happen. We could have been fine. We could have accommodated for this, but we didn't. Or maybe, um, maybe the kids leave the milk on the bench again, and it goes warm again, and now we don't have milk for a cup of tea in the morning, and you go, how many times do I have to tell them this is so irritating, and it just, you know, pushes that one button that for you is always a problem, something that always, you go, oh, how come this one thing always gets to me? And maybe you react, I know I have, when, you know, these things, this one button, and you react out of proportion and go, what is wrong here that I can take all of this criticism and this angry person and I can deal with it calmly and smoothly, but then the kid does this one thing and I'm so angry, right? But the thing that needs to shift isn't really the milk into the fridge. The thing that needs to shift is us sitting with the, you know what? Three-year-old is not going to always remember to put the milk away, and that's just how it is. And once you sort of sit into that and you go, all right, I can deal with, and I can move on, and I can put a spare long-life milk in the cup, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> That's what we did in the end. Um, so let me read this to you, and honestly, it's plagiarism straight from Wikipedia, the very first search result. It says, Repentance called forth throughout the Bible is a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it is more than that. In repenting, we make a complete change of direction, 180-degree turn towards God. And as Bill Johnson put it in a, another podcast I was listening to, he said, we don't have a, any fill-in-the-blank problem. We don't have a financial problem. We don't have a personality problem. We don't have a time problem or a car problem. What we actually have is a lordship problem. And when we let God be Lord of our lives, that's when we actually align ourselves and go, all right, God, I'm now moving with you in the harness you made for me to do the job you designed me to do. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it takes work. Maybe there's pressure or something like that. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't injure us. It doesn't chafe and rub against us the wrong way and cause, um, cause pain. So this... September, or this um, month, we're talking about sort of the first part of Joel here. Um, so I'll have a look here. God speaking through the prophet Joel to all of the Israelites. Um, and they're in, or about to be in, a fairly bad shape. So here in Joel 1 verse 4, um, we have a 
um, Joel's talking to the Israelites and saying, now, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. And what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. So you imagine they have one disaster, and you know, it's pretty bad, and maybe something slightly different than another different thing. I was sort of looking at this going, you know, I don't have locusts really devouring anything of mine. But um, maybe it could read, what was left after a swarm of difficult circumstances has been taken by some... Um, what was left after a swarm of difficult circumstances has been taken by some great tragedy. And after that, many more problems. And when the dust finally settled from all of that loss, other dramas destroyed the last tattered remains of what you had. And that, to me, went, that's sort of what this is saying. This is saying, it's not just going to be this bad thing's going to happen. It's going to be this and that and that and that. Everything completely destroyed. That's what Joel is warning them about and calling them to repentance. So things are looking pretty bleak for Israel at this point if they don't turn back to God. I don't think you can have any more utter destruction than absolutely everything gone like he was talking about. Um, so as I'm a big fan of analogy, let me show you something which I've also been working on this past week. So I was, um, we have a set of di our dining room table, right? We have some chairs here. And we got them not long after we got married. So we've had them for maybe 10 or 11 years now. Um, and after a while, they get weak. And so I've decided I've got to actually take them and take them apart and fix them. So in order to take them apart, we have to go through... Um, if we've got the next one, Wayne? Thanks. It's um, completely disassembled the chair, right? All of the bits and pieces taken out, all of the... Um, ends knocked off, all of the um, bits sanded back where the old glue was, all of the little weak pieces that were in them need to actually get dealt with, need to get fixed. Um, so I drilled out all the old broken bits and sanded everything back, and eventually you put it back together, and after knocking all of these things out, go to the next one, thanks Wayne, it looks pretty much the same, right? This chair now has um, new glue and new wood, new dowel put in it. I've sanded it back and clamped it all up and screwed in where the holes weren't before so it's a little bit stronger. Now what's inside is pretty much the same... Or what's outside, sorry, is pretty much the same as what was inside. But the difference is, and the test is, when you actually put pressure on it, Because that looks just like that until weight is applied, right? Now, admittedly, I took all the screws out of that one and held it together with a piece of string in case it wouldn't cooperate for my analogy. But if I can stretch this just a little bit further, that's a chair, and obviously I, as the fixer, am not God. But if the chair hadn't surrendered its will to me to take it apart and actually fix the bits that were broken inside, the bits that were creaking, the bits that were weak, that were going to fail, the bits that could no longer support anyway, then it would end up like this. Because the little bits and pieces, the little niggling bits and pieces that are inside, 
are the bits that actually build its character, that make it strong enough to carry the weight that we need to put on it. So if we have left these chairs, we, and this one previously was sitting in the corner because we couldn't let a guest sit on it. We might use it if Ez, oh, actually Ez is pretty bouncy, he'd destroy it too. But it couldn't take much weight because you'd sit on it and it would wobble and it would crack a little. And it wasn't until we did this, took them all apart, that it was actually able to take it. So, obviously, the chair doesn't have a will, and I'm not God, it's creator. But the analogy, if I can stretch it a little bit further, is what's going on inside us, these little irritations, these things that are pushing us, the things that are making it difficult for us to handle certain situations, are weaknesses inside, irritations, things that are actually maybe grown over time that we need to surrender to God for him to fix. And it's not until we actually do that God will come in and fix it. Because Jesus died to give us choice, right? God didn't make us robots, not like the chair. He doesn't come and just hammer us apart and, here, you've got a broken thing, let me fix it. But he'll actually allow us to sit with these things and say, if you come to me, I want to take this out. I want to fix this thing. And maybe he doesn't need to completely take you apart and you know, cut and drill and fix everything, but maybe he just needs to open up and operate on some little thing. But he won't do it, and he'll leave us in whatever state we're in unless we go, God, I'm going to give this to you. And that, to me, is a picture of what repentance actually is. It's when we say, I have this thing in me that I need fixed. I need it gotten rid of, and I'll, I'll acknowledge there's something broken. There's something that's making it so that when this one little thing happens. I stub my toe on some Lego. I get so angry inside because there's something that's misaligned. There's something that's meaning I can't take the weight of what happens. And it's not just the weight of something bad. You know, a person sitting on a chair isn't bad. That's the weight it's designed to carry. And the weight that God puts on us isn't bad either. God wants to give us so much blessing. He has so many good things planned for us. He has so many things he wants us to do but we can't bear the weight of the blessing unless we actually let him fix what's inside and we get ourselves aligned with him so that we're moving in the same direction. And that's what repentance is. That's when we actually turn from, no, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to fix my own thing. I'm going to go my own way and go, no, I'm going to completely turn around. I'm going to align myself with God and let him do what he wants to do. And so when, like in that song, New Wine, it says make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. Because when we turn and surrender to God and say, I don't know what I'm made for, but I want you to make me that, and I give all my bits and pieces to you, that's when he goes, great, let me fix this. Maybe it'll hurt. Maybe it, it'll only take a minute. But um, that's what he does. And when, um, if we have a look again back in Joel, at Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. He talks a little bit further along about God wanting to forgive and bless Israel. And he, Joel says to them, rend your hearts and not your garments. Fix what's inside, not what's outside. We don't need this. We don't need this looking like a really nice chair. What we need is the bits of dowel and the, the broken things inside fixed. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. Quite like Joel's uh, style of writing in this. He says, turn back to God, and who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll heal you. Maybe he won't send this disaster and calamity, because that's what he's wanting to do. God doesn't want to come and destroy Israel. He doesn't want to come and eat up everything that's there. He doesn't want to send his armies and, and make them desolate and ruined. He doesn't want to take what he's already given them. What he actually wants to do is bless them. So in, um, throughout Joel, in a couple of places, it talks about the day of the Lord. And at first it says, um, if I can, sorry, skip to that. Um, Um, Joel 1, verse 15. We have, um, this is just after, right in the beginning of, the, of Joel, where everyone's been called to repent, and it says, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. And that phrase, the day of the Lord, is used a couple of times here. But if we go ahead to um, Joel... Sorry, I've lost where I was looking. Oh, so sorry, what we were looking for back in Joel 2, where he says, when the day of the Lord actually comes, it's actually going to be a great blessing. It's going to be a time when, um, when God's going to actually pour in new wine and new, new things. He's going to come in and bless them. So right at the beginning, he's saying, alas, for the day of the Lord is coming. And everyone's, everything's going to be destroyed. But later on, after they've repented, the day of the Lord is a time when he pours out his spirit on all flesh and young men see, see uh, visions and prophesy and God's going to pour in all these new th things. The day of the Lord is when he's coming, right? And in the beginning when they're unrepentant, the day of the Lord would completely flatten them, destroy them. The locusts would eat up everything. But later after they've repented, the day of the Lord is actually a time of blessing because they've realigned themselves to actually carry what God wants. They can actually handle the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord comes, instead of destroying them because it's too heavy, the day of the Lord brings blessing. So, and I know that I've sort of gone through Joel backwards, but we go back right to the beginning here in Joel 1 verse 3. He says, Joel tells them right at the beginning, he says, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. It's so important, I think, for us, especially when all of these things are happening. We have things, trials that come along, we face difficult things and we go through them and we work through them and maybe we come to a good place. Maybe we've... Um, made bad decisions or held on to things and had financial trouble. And we've worked through that and we've come to a good place, to a new place. But it's important for us to tell our children about this, to actually tell our story, for it to be visible so that people know, hang on, here's what happened and here's how God blessed. I um, was thinking yesterday how important it is for parents to model repentance to their children. We... Um, you know, we do fail 
at times we will be frustrated and say the wrong thing or get upset with them about something that's really fairly trivial. And it's so important. And I remember growing up, my parents would never come and tell us, hey, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I've done the right thing. But Christy and I have, have talked a lot about this and gone, this is something that's really important for us to do. This is something that matters. If our children don't see us coming to them and repenting for what we've done wrong, if our friends don't see us come up to them and say, hey, look, I've done the wrong thing and I'm sorry, if our kids haven't heard of us going to God and saying, God, we've done the wrong thing and we're sorry and we want to turn back to you, then the same thing's going to keep happening to them. And that's why Joel says, tell it to your children so they can tell their children, so they can tell their children, so they can tell their children, because you don't want this to keep happening. And the way that we do it isn't through just telling, hey, here's all the great stuff that's happened. It's through actually modeling repentance. Imagine if we did that, if we all did that, if we were all able to go, let's be humble with each other and actually own, here's the problem. Let's actually talk about, here's where I've failed and need God to come and heal me. And the impact that that might have on our friends and our family and our children and the next generation, so they wouldn't have to actually deal with and work through and repent from the same things we do. In James 5, verse 16, um, there's a verse that says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that's, um, that's what we are called to do. Not just to say, um, hey, look, uh, I've gone and I've prayed in my quiet place before God and it's all good. No, we actually come and say to each other, hey, I'm, I'm going through this. God's dealing with this in me. I'm going to come to this place where I can be trusted and affected by God. The, um, I can't remember the reference, I'm sorry. There's a um, verse on Matthew 3, verse 8. It talks about... Um, Evidence in keeping with repentance. And we often talk with this, Christy's idea. Talk with the kids and say, you know, they off, they'll do something and go, oh, uh, sorry, Josh. Mm, you're not sorry at all. You know, uh, Ezra might have hit Josh and, no, listen, you need to sort it out. You need to fix it with Josh. Sorry, Josh. That's it. He's not, not sorry. And so we go, how do we know? What's the evidence? Because he says, give evidence in keeping with repentance. When we repent, there's actual evidence. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit of repentance is that we don't explode at these little things. The fruit of repentance is that we're strong enough to hold the weight. It's that when God gives us something great, it doesn't turn us into a tyrant. Or when something bad happens, it doesn't turn us into a martyr. It's that when... When God has actually ministered and moved in our lives, that becomes evident on the outside. Because it's what's inside that determines what you can carry. It's what's inside that determines how you react to life. It's what is inside that determines how much God can actually bless you and entrust you with. So, my hope in what you take away from this isn't that I didn't fix that chair but that 
you'll actually look into your life. You'll actually look at the points of weakness. You'll actually look at these things that keep on bugging you. And um, I know that all of these things kept on popping into my mind as I'm reading this and thinking about this and planning for this and going, oh, there's another thing. I've, I've let weakness come in, right? I've let these things fester. Maybe I've let this the way this one person reacted or something really bother me. And as a result, I can't handle this situation. And um, you know, maybe at work there's a person who's just driving me crazy, not doing the right things, and I'm picking up the slack or something like that. But once I actually go, you know what? I'm here to do whatever God wants. I'm here to work for Him. I'm here because God put me here. He put this harness on me. The only reason it doesn't fit right is because I'm pulling the wrong way. So take those things that are in your life that may be painful and frustrating, difficult and irritating and say, God, you can have these. Take these and I'm sorry for doing it my way. Repent of whatever it is that he's bringing to the surface because he brings things up to fix them. He doesn't just go, see, you've got a problem. Let me push you the wrong way. Let me poke on the cracked bit. He brings things up because he loves us. He died for us so that he could fix these things, so that he could make our inner world so strong that we could carry whatever he wanted to do. And we know his plans for us are incredible, much greater than we can imagine. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And I think that's one of my favorite verses for its simplicity and its impact. You go, all right, I've set before you two things, life and death, blessing and cursing and curse. The um, easiest A and B choice test you'll ever take, right? And right after that, he says, by the way, the answer is A, right? Choose life. There's life and death. That's the right choice here. And that's what we do when we choose to repent, when we choose to turn around and go, you know what? I'm going to align myself with you. I want you to deal with what's in me. What we're going is, this is death. This is brokenness. This is weakness. That means I can't carry what I need to. Instead, I choose life. Repentance allows God to strengthen what is inside of you, so that you can handle what's outside. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the incredible blessing. We thank you for the blood that Jesus poured out to cover our sins. And we thank you for the incredible value you put in life and in our free will. We don't understand any fraction of the cost that you bore, but we are so grateful. And Lord, today we want to choose life. We want to choose to align ourselves with you and we want to choose to let you work on the things that maybe we haven't let you before. Lord, I pray that as things come up, that we'll remember this is an irritation because I'm not properly aligned and we'll repent and turn around and yoke ourselves properly with you.
Lord, I pray that you will touch these things, that you will minister to us. And just before I close, I want to ask if there's anyone here who doesn't know God, who needs to actually go, you know what? I want him to take and fix all of it. Maybe my whole life needs to come apart for him to put it back together properly. But you know that you're not aligned with God and you want to be. What he did was incredible. What he continues to do is just as incredible. So I'm going to invite you now. If you don't know him, I'd love to invite you to come and meet him. So on the count of three, I'll ask for you to raise your hands. And if he's pulling on your heart and he's saying, here's a weak spot, here's something I want to fix, don't try and close off this and say, God, you can't have it. Don't try and put up a wall so the weakness doesn't hurt. But let him in to fix it so that instead of it being a weakness, it'll be a strength and you can carry what he wants you to carry. So on three, just raise your hands. One, two, three. And if God's calling you and saying he wants to fix you, he's going to make you strong. He's going to fix the things that are irritations to you. Thank you so much. Is there anyone else? And he's not harsh, and he's not cruel, and he's not vindictive. He doesn't just smash us to pieces and build a new one. He takes those same pieces and he fixes the little bits and pieces inside. He adds a little bit of dowel. He adds a little bit of glue. He adds just what we need. And suddenly we're whole again and strong again and able to do life again the way that he intends. So is there anyone else here who wants to respond before we close? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. All right. Would you all stand, please? Can I ask you to come up the front and I can pray with you? Is that all right? Let's all just pray together. And we'll join in with anyone who wants to ask God into their hearts. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for Jesus on the cross. And thank you for taking away our sins. Thank you that you have come to fix us and make us whole. And Lord, now we're sorry for what we've done sorry for where we've not let you in and this morning we invite you to come in and to make our lives whole we thank you for this in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.